When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I always, I'm always stunned when critics are like, there's no pace, there's no, something's long, something's everything. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, if you put Chinatown in front of people today, they'd annihilate that movie. Yeah, yeah. If, you know, he is, what's his motivation? He has none. Someone played him. Like, he, he doesn't even like Evan Mulray. He's, he's like, he's just like Americans. He's just a little bit annoyed that someone thinks they can put one over on him, and that's enough mm-hmm. for him to just go poke and poke and poke until he starts to get really annoyed. everyone, and welcome to episode number 11 of The Fourth Wall. I am your host, Griffin Schiller, and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals ranging from directors, actors, you name it. This show is, of course, part of the Playlist Podcast Network where you can find our weekly film discourse show along with our other shows such as uh, Indie Beat, Be Real, you name it, whatever your fix is, we got you covered over there. My guest today, is someone who truthfully needs no introduction. It is finally Mr. Edward Norton. Now, I know I've been teasing this one for a little while, but I am absolutely thrilled to be able to bring it to you. Norton is truly one of the great talents of our generation whose diverse body of work has spanned across films such as Primal Fear and American History X, both of which earned him Academy Award nominations, Fight Club, The Incredible Hulk, and Birdman, just to name a few. His latest project, Motherless Brooklyn, is the product of two decades worth of work as Norton wrote, directed, produced, and starred in the noir film based off of the 1990 novel of the same name by Jonathan Lethem. Now, this is a very interesting conversation because it started off fairly normal, you know? I We got some groundwork laid, it turned into a fairly standard interview, but the second I mentioned noir and the big sleep... A big shift happened in the conversation, and it began to feel just really fun to talk about classic cinema with uh, a legend such as uh, Edward Norton. And so I I think when you're listening to this interview, you're going to notice the shift, and it just is, it's something great. And it was was just truthfully a a real treat to hear someone like this talk about uh, a film in that sort of way. So... All of you cinephiles are really going to dig this one as we discuss the effectiveness, appeal, and boldness of classic film noir such as The Big Sleep and Chinatown, along with influences such as Warren Beatty's Reds and Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, had on Motherless Brooklyn, and why films such as those excite him. So, we talk about a lot, and uh, hopefully you all enjoy it as much as I enjoyed talking to Mr. Edward Norton. So, without further ado, here is our conversation. Conversation. Last night was your uh, was was the first time you shoot you showed uh, uh, the film in New York, I guess, and I'm I'm kind of curious how what it was like, what the atmosphere was like, being able to finally um, 
you know, show a movie so steeped in in New York culture uh, to, to like a proper New York audience? Uh, it was magical. It was, it was uh, magical. There's no other word for it. It was it was just great. It was. Um, I've been going to the, I've been going to that the New York Film Festival since I was 1989. So uh, it, it it's and and it, there no audience is ever going to get all every dimension of the value of 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 every little bit of where you shot things and what you're referencing and. Um, so it was, it was, uh, it had this, it, it had the special, um, it had, it had the special, uh, magic of, a of a true hometown crowd yeah, audience. Sure. Yeah. Right. Great. Yeah. Right. Which always has to be, um, you know, encouraging and fun and, and stuff, but, um, one of the uh, so I I was I was actually really looking forward to to talking to you because I know that you um you grew up in in Columbia Maryland and I I'm also from Maryland and I grew up in Frederick and uh, I was just curious about I guess the you know you um what it was like for you kind of growing up there and how that that environment uh, sort of influenced your uh, your your career and stuff like that uh, influenced my career I. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I was lucky and grew up in a family where the arts were very celebrated. You know, I mean, my, I had uncles who were painters and musicians and my grandfather who was a famous urban developer and philosopher really was a passionate believer in the, in the arts within communities. He was a huge supporter of like, you know, he rallied the community to find, to underwrite the building of Baltimore center stage long before I was born. He, he wanted a school of theatrical arts in Columbia, um, which, which, he, you know, he recruited this woman, Toby Ornstein, who was an incredible, a real theater genius, like a real, a true impresario and educator. And a lot of us who went through her programs went into, you know, n- not, just careers in the arts, but national careers, like people who were yeah. on Broadway and Les Mis and beca- or became composers or musicians, like a, a, a songwriter who I know who does lots of films, um, scores now went to that same school with me. And, and you know, it, it's, um, it was more, I think there was a, there was a, there was an appreciation for the arts around me when I was young that, made it seem like not uh yeah it, it was the the furthest thing from feeling like a um an, a, a career choice that wouldn't have support do you know what i mean like i yeah, mean some yeah. people talk about about you know their experience of their family being dismayed by their it's like bruce springsteen and you know his dad and the, the clash of wills over what does a person you know I, I didn't have any of that. I, I, my parents took us to the theater like once a month, you know, um, and watched movies with us. And it was always, uh, a part of, it was, it was always in the matrix to me of things that were considered, um, of value and serious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, that's fat. You're, you're right. Because you're, it's, it really does come down to, uh, 
your your upbringing and you know the the acceptance of of being in like an artful artful family um and i mean and i i had that same sort of nurturing background myself uh in in terms of of, of the arts and so it's uh it's just kind of, it's it's interesting to just kind of like hear you 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 mention that because it is it is so true um i i did because you mentioned your grandfather and i thought it was really interesting because uh he you know, was very influential in the, or, well, you know, basically developed uh, Columbia proper, I, I, I guess. Um, and, you know, something that's very integral in motherless Brooklyn is, uh, you, you know, the, the, the celebration of communities of, uh, you know, you, and then you touch on, you know, um, redistricting and gentrification a little bit. And so I, I was curious because the way your grandfather did it, to my knowledge, was the right way he like maintained the the cultures that were already there um in in like building up this new area and then we kind of see the struggle that um you know brooklyn as a community is going through in trying to maintain that you know the, their identity there and so i, I was kind of curious you know given given that family history was that something that attracted you to some of the motifs in in the original novel no, uh, the the novel, the novel really has not that much to do with those the themes mm-hmm. and narrative of the film, other than the relations, other than the core of Lionel's history, the guys in the agency, and his love of Minna. You know, yeah. um, beyond the loss of Minna and the idea that that's what propels him to sort of step into Minna's shoes and go out of his comfort zone. That's sort of where the line of the novel ends and the movie begins. Um, to me, the, the novel, the allure of the novel, the hook of the novel is entirely the character, which it is in the film too. I might, the, what the novel does that I wanted to replicate was, is, it creates this instant affinity for this very unusual character by, by putting you inside his head, even as you watch him trip himself up in ways that are funny and also painful. And it's so effective that you kind of go through the book without almost even caring whether you understand what's going on because you're really just riding with this character. And, and I felt for a variety of reasons, Jonathan and I both thought setting it in the fifties would be more true to the spirit of the book and, and, and the types of stories that it's evoking. Mm -hmm. The book has a kind of a meta surreal thing of, of old school fifties gumshoe sort of vibe, but in the modern world. And it's got this kind of, there's a novelistic trick going on there that in film might quickly turn into like, Com- just pure comedy or irony, like the Blues Brothers or something like that. You know, retro chic, and, and we and and we didn't really want to do that. Um, and so, so the answer, the, the short answer is that the it, the novel's resonance with the my the things that my grandfather was interested in that I had was immersed in. That wasn't it. The no, the novels. The not the inspiration of the novel is the character, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 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 the character, and the demonstration that you could sort of like use the character as a vehicle in the story. But my what I said to 
Jonathan was, what if we take your detective like Raymond Chandler's Marlowe or something? Why don't, what if we take your detective and we, we, we travel with him through another story. And he was, he was beyond into it. He was like, he loved it. Um, because he wasn't, I don't want to say he wasn't enamored of it, but Jonathan, Jonathan's focus was the character as well. It wasn't the story of the novel, right? which was pretty esoteric, you know, um, he, 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 he dug it. Yeah. So, and and I, I think that's, that kind of speaks to, you know, what, what is so interesting about noir in general? Cause it's, it's not, the the films are not usually ever really about the the story or or whatnot. It, I mean, like it's it's obviously a part of it, but it, you're right. It is the focus is on the character. Like, uh, I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me is like The Big Sleep. I I couldn't tell you the first thing of what that film is about, but I remember the characters and their interactions and, and the dialogue. Yeah. yeah, and the dialogue. I yeah. I watched that. Um, I watched that before talking about it again on the. Um, the Turner classic movie show recently. Yeah. Uh, and I had seen it uh, quite a few times. Um, didn't remember a lick of what the plot was about. Not a lick. <laughs> literally, literally just remembered, just remembered that it has to do with the seedy goings on of an upper class family. Right. Right. That, that's all I, if you'd said to me, why is, why is the big sleep? famous or why is it good noir? What is it about? I would have just said, Oh, that, you know, it, it's like, it says that underneath sort of snooty American society is, you know, um, are the degraded and dark goings on of, of, um, that the, the plutocratic rich ha- are, are degraded. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah, the yeah. thing that, that, but, but you don't, the sister, you're like, I, I like, is it a younger sister or is it, or what is it? You know what I mean? Yeah, like you can't, yeah. And, and, and what's gone on with the cops that the guy had hired before and who, who's doing what? It's so convoluted. Right. But if you ever needed proof, uh, Chinatown equally, but if you ever needed proof that noir is not about whether the audience gets lost or not, it's all, they always get lost. Mm-hmm. They get really lost. And the point is big sleep is mostly style. The pleasures are pure style. It's like, it's just the dialogue, the dialogue. So really, really funny, really yeah, um, yeah. great. You know, it's like, I got a bottle of rye in my pocket. Maybe we should get wet inside. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. just great. It's just great. You're just, you're just, you're just guffawing in the best way. It's just, it's great. Um, style uh it's not even honestly not to go bog down in the big seat but it's not even really that photograph it's not photographically very interesting right, it's not right. it's not it's not like a high craft noir it's just great writing and it's great bogart is has got he's in the, he's in his best zone of of a kind of a um uh a nonchalant cool you know oh, what i yeah. mean um yeah like like uh and that's, that's it. That's really it. Chinatown to me is a much more elevated, right? a much more elevated example of it because, because it's going even deeper with the idea that there's a shadow narrative under who we say we are. It's like California, 
the, the symbol of our American, like the sunny narrative of America, literally the dreams and remaking yourself and opportunity for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. That's really the California dream opportunity for everybody. Literally, they used to sell California real estate by saying, why rent when you can own, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> you're going to make your life out here. But, but the whole thing was built on a, on a, on a ripoff um, of, of enormous proportion, the theft of water at, at a scale that was hard for people to wrap their heads around, you know, and, and it basically said, not only under sunny California is, is a crime, but it's a crime by people that have accumulated so much power who are so sure that the world can't perceive the scale of what they're doing, that they've lost, they've so lost their grip on any sense of accountability that they rape their daughters and rationalize it. You know what I mean? And, 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 and it says the unknowability of the way that this kind of power functions, um, cannot, it just cannot be contended with you, you, you know, I, I tried to keep someone from getting hurt and I made sure she got hurt in the worst way. And then it happens all again. You know what I mean? It's like you, And and the, and at the end, the darkest message ever, like do as little as possible, as little as possible. Don't get, you know, it's like literally don't get involved. And, it, and it's like this guy, you know, his whole family was killed by the Nazis and his wife was murdered by Charles Manson. So, you know, you, you and it's happening at the end of Vietnam. It's like it, it's really a pretty bleak look, but it's a very, very it's such a fine piece of filmmaking. It has so such an amazing photography and the music and the dialogue. It's like a hypnosis. You just don't mm-hmm. care that you, you don't care at all, even more than the big sleep. I think Chinatown's true hypnosis. You don't have any idea what's going on and you just don't care. You're, 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 you're in the drift and, and you, you get into a, a state of uh, you get into this hypnotic state where you'll kind of watch Nicholson go anywhere and do anything. And, um, it's all so dreamy and mysterious that even when you begin to think, you know, what's going on, it's actually something totally different. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, um, and you don't come away. Like I always, I'm always stunned when critics are like, there's no pace. There's no, something's long, something's everything. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, if you put Chinatown in front of people today, they'd annihilate that movie. Yeah. Yeah. If, you know, he is, what's his motivation? He has none. Someone played him. Like he, he doesn't even like Evan Mulray. He's, he's like, he's just like Americans. He's just a little bit annoyed that someone thinks they can put one over on him. And that's enough mm-hmm. for him to just go poke and poke and poke until he starts to get really annoyed. You know what I mean? And, and I, that's like really mature, really deep because it's like, it basically is like saying, I can make a film. I can make a, it's like Clancy's going like, I can put you under a frigging spell. I know how to, I, I'm going to put you under a spell. <laughs> it's magic. And you're not, yeah. not going to, no, and you're not, you're not going to, you don't, you're not going to care why anybody's doing what they're doing. You're not going to care if you understand what's going on. Um, and in the end, you're not going to be able to narrate it back that they're dumping water in the night to drive the orange groves down to buy up the land using old people at a social club. You don't fucking know any of that. That's no one says those things. No one talks about the Albacore club in Chinatown. 
they they say like you know oh god it was incest and 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 somewhere way down under there la fortune the fortunes of la were built by stealing water and and just just dark you know dark big corruption that's it that's right. all, that's that's the essence of the movie i guess i i for the last question here um you know given where your career has started and how it's kind of evolved over the years um can you can you sort of quantify how the stories uh you're interested in telling have changed um has this like influenced more directorial endeavors do you think there's maybe a little bit of an arc from where you were there and where you are now no uh i mean every everybody's always reassessing the the, the balance of life you know it's mm-hmm. like you you but i but my my the things that get me out of bed creatively speaking um are are i think my aspirational targets are the same um as they've always been i the the, the i've always been looking to where i can to find things that that resonate with the moment i mean i really believe in Joseph Campbell's kind of concept of transparency that like that things with real potency are the, are the things that people can see through them and see how this is really about them, you know? Um, and if something's opaque, people can get entertained by it, but it's a passive experience. You know, if it's transparent and they, and they can see themselves in it, then that's what people called the zeitgeist, right? That's why the graduate was a very potent film for, that generation in that moment, right? It was very provocative um, to people. That's why Fight Club works. That's why you know, yeah, yeah, things that things that people can feel resonating in their own daily lives around them just have more. They stick a little more, you know, or, or they feel identification. They feel identification. They feel seen. Um, in it. And that's, those are always the best things. I think the, the very, very, very best things to also get it. Like to me, I, I love movies like, like reds or like do the right thing or, yeah. you know, that, that sort of also get at like, what's the national character? What's the, what's the, what are the things we're not, that we're lying to ourselves about not dealing with, not confronting, um, what what's our what's our story what's all of our story you know and that's to me that's like motherless brooklyn's very affected by i was very inspired by people like warren Beatty saying you know when he told me people told him uh, no one wants to see a three-hour movie about american socialists with Mm -hmm. documentary footage and he was like well i do you know i i do i i i want to see it and i think other people we'll, we'll get it. We'll get that. This is about, this is the alternative American story. This is the, this was a part of who we were too. And, um, there was a lot of nobility in it and it's a reminder, you know, reds is a reminder that there were people, it all got tarnished later, right? It all got called the red menace, but it's the reminder that, that actually there was, there was this in that era which I reference in Motherless Brooklyn, there, there was an era where people really thought like 
we need to think about each other collectively more. We need to care about everybody. Right. And, and, and it was like, yeah, it was, it was noble. It had its failings, but it was really amazing. There was this flowering of a moment where everybody really thought, what can we do to care about each other more and take care of more people? Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's amazing. It's really amazing. And I think that idea of the shift in America's value system before the war and after the war, literally it's in my voiceover. He says, you know, before the war, we were lifting ourselves right. out of the crash by, by taking care of each other. And after the war, Frank said, you know, he says, once we'd seen what we were capable of, it was like the game's going to be about power from top to bottom. And, and, and it did, it changed, you know? Yeah. And, and it's sort of like, and, and that's do the right thing to me too. do the right thing is like, it's, it's this grand question mark of when you feel in a, it's compassionate. It gives you the point of view of Danny Aiello and John Turturro. And, but at the end it says, what do you do when you have people who feel marginalized and who are going to have an impulse toward violent reaction to their own oppression and he gives you Martin Luther King's quote and he gives you Malcolm X quote. And he's like, we got to debate. We got to look at this shit. You know, it's really, it's very bold. That's why that movie was just like a hand grenade, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And I like, I like where I can, I, I've always wanted to shoot for things like that. Mm -hmm. They're, they're not easy to find, but I've been lucky and gotten to get in, side a fair number of them and I wanted to try to make one of them you know yeah well I, I think you really nailed it there so uh I mean, congrats on the film again I, I really applaud the effort that went into making it and, and the touching on just a such timely material uh like uh, yeah it was it was great I, I really enjoyed it thank you man <laughs> Well, there you have it. That was my conversation with Edward Norton. It's honestly very rare that you get to have a full-blown conversation like that about an actor's love of film. So I'm just very thrilled uh, that that became part of the conversation. And hopefully you all enjoyed it just as much as I enjoyed conducting it and talking about that part of it. So Motherless Brooklyn is in theaters this Friday, November 1st, and is a nice throwback to classic film noir that I'm sure many of you will enjoy but the most important thing is I want to hear from you all I want to know what your favorite Edward Norton film is down in the comments section below of wherever you're listening to this episode be sure to subscribe to the playlist podcast network for more episodes of the fourth wall along with the rest of our diverse film centric catalog and if you want to go that extra mile and you feel so inclined you really want to help us out it would be amazing if you left us a rating and a review as it greatly helps the show out helps us get noticed and it allows me to know what you're loving and what you want to see more of next week the motherless brooklyn train continues as my guest is willem dafoe who is having one hell of a year i might add uh we not only dive into motherless brooklyn but of course we have to dive into the indie phenomenon that is the lighthouse and so i think you all are really going to enjoy that one it was an absolute delight and i can't wait to share it with you but until then if you like me specifically and you like what i have to say you can give me a follow on twitter at griff schiller all right that's gonna do it for this episode and i'll catch you next time take care <laughs>